0: I'm eager to preach the gospel from 1 Peter, chapter 2, and we together have the privilege of turning our attention now to the Word of God, so I'd like to invite you to turn with me to 1 Peter, chapter 2. We love this book. Um, you may know it was early October, many years ago, October 6, 1536, when... William Tyndale was burned at the stake for translating the Bible into English. Um, on one occasion, he told a, a Catholic scholar, uh, the man wasn't too big a fan of the work that Tyndale was doing, and he said to this Catholic scholar, if God spares my life many years, I will cause a plowboy to know more of the scriptures than you do. And God used Tyndale's life to give you and me access to the Scriptures, which are life to us. Uh, At times we preach through books of the Bible and at times we do sermon series on a theme like particular doctrines in our statement of faith or the series we did earlier this year on uh, the biblical teaching regarding the gentle heart of Christ. But make no mistake, in every situation, we are always preaching and expositing one book alone and that book is the Word of God. And in our series on 1 Peter, we have seeing the riches of God's word. We've seen in chapter one, the glory of the salvation we have received in Christ. Jesus is revealed as our living hope. He is the one we love and rejoice in, the spotless lamb who shed his precious blood for us. And it's also in chapter one that we've learned that as exiles, we are called by God to live lives of holiness, and to live lives of love and now in chapter 2 peter emphasizes that we do not express these qualities individualistically but communally together as the people of god in first peter 2 we have been introduced to the greatest building in the world and we learn that we get to be a part of it this was our sermon text last week as well today we're going to be looking at verse five in particular, but I wanna read beginning in 1 Peter 2, verse four. This is God's holy and authoritative word. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, to do. Our sermon title is Living Stones, A Covenant Community. May God bless the preaching of his word. Pastor John Piper once preached a sermon on the church, and he began with one of my favorite quotes and descriptions of uh, the glory, the importance of the church. It is an extraordinary description. He said, The Church of Jesus Christ is the most important institution in the world. The assembly of the redeemed, the company of the saints, the children of God are more significant in world history than any other group, organization, or nation. The United States of America compares to the Church of Jesus Christ like a speck of dust compares to the sun. The drama of international relations compares to the mission of the church, like a kindergarten riddle compares to Hamlet or King Lear. And all pomp of May Day in Red Square and the pageantry of New Years in Pasadena fade into a formless gray against the splendor of the bride of Christ. He says, take heed how you judge. Things are not what they seem. The gates of Hades, the powers of death, will prevail against every institution but one, the church. Lift up your eyes, O Christians. You belong to a society that will never cease, to the apple of God's eye, to the eternal and cosmic church of our Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that glorious? I I played that. It's in a sermon he preached called The Cosmic Church from Ephesians 3. I played that for uh, some members of my family earlier this, this week. You can find it easily online. He begins the sermon with that glorious description. God's desire for us today is that we would lift up our eyes. Lift up our eyes to see God's design for the church and who we are as the people of God we know this and yet we do not know it as we ought most of us myself included do not have a clue when it comes to understanding the full significance and glory of the church the lives of so many Christians would be significantly transformed if only we recaptured the New Testament teaching regarding the church. Things are not as they seem. The grass withers, the flower falls, but the word of God and the people of God remain forever. Students of scripture quickly learn that there are several images, pictures used in scripture That God has given to reveal the nature of the church. Among them are a radiant bride. The body of Christ. The family of God in which we are brothers and sisters with God as our father. The flock of God. Branches of the vine. And a spiritual house. Made with living stones. With the resurrected Christ himself as the great cornerstone the apostle peter loved this image drawn from the old testament in the early days of the church peter who wrote this letter that we're studying was one of the great preeminent preachers in the church on the day of pentecost in acts 2 when the spirit fell he preached with extraordinary power and then in those following chapters we see he continues to preach he proclaimed the good news of christ died for our sins risen from the dead thousands came to believe in acts chapter 4 peter stood before the high priest and the rulers and elders in jerusalem thousands had been saved the day before and now peter were told filled with the holy spirit lifted up his voice on that day and declared this is acts 4 verse 11 and 12 this jesus is the stone that was rejected by you the builders which has become the cornerstone. Jesus is the cornerstone. And he said there is salvation in no one else for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Christ is the living cornerstone. Christ is the one who though rejected by humanity is chosen and precious to God. Salvation is found In him alone, and Peter here says in our text, as he elaborates on this image, that it stands in scripture, the one who believes in him, in Christ. This is you and I. The one who believes in him will not be put to shame, but will be saved and will be vindicated on the last day. To come to Christ is to share in his honor. To come to Christ is to share in His value. And God wants us to know, as the beloved people of God, that we are chosen and honored and more precious to God than we have ever dared to imagine. And we learn that to come to Christ is to be joined to His community. When we come to Christ, who is the living stone... We become living stones and we are incorporated into the household of God. To be joined to Christ is to be joined to the church. And I thank God that throughout our history we have valued this. And this sermon is written on the lives of so many members, men and women throughout this church who continue to pour out their lives in service and devotion to the church and who are living lives that reflect the value that God assigns to his people and to this building. And yet I am convinced that for all of us our view of the church is too small. And here in verse 5, God in his kindness is reminding us of our remarkable dignity, our glorious identity, the purpose that we have as the church of Jesus Christ, as the people of God. What do we see? We have three points here. First, we are living stones. We are, each one of us, in Christ, living stones. The greatest building in the world is not the Taj Mahal, it's not the Colosseum, it is not the Empire State Building. The greatest building in the world is the spiritual building of the church. And Peter uses the imagery, it's imagery of the temple drawn from the Old Testament, which was massively important. In the Old Testament, the temple is the dwelling place of God. Now what we learn is that a physical temple is no longer the heart and center of God And his activity in the world. God had promised that his presence would fill a greater temple. And this promise is fulfilled in the church. We are the temple of God. We are the glorious dwelling place of his presence as we gather as his people. Every Christian, this will change the way you view the church. It will change the way you view your identity as a Christian. Every Christian is part of God's great building project which you had in the old testament there were these large and precious stones that were cut when solomon and his when when solomon's temple was built your life is a stone cut by god it is a breathing living stone for the purpose of fitting you into a spiritual building You will notice these stones are not in isolation. They are not scattered around. They are joined together. If I give you one brick and tell you to go build a house with it, you will not be able to do it. The purpose of a brick is not to sit in isolation. It is to be used in building a house. And so friends, you and I must understand that as Christians... We have a God-given purpose that cannot be achieved apart from community. We need each other, don't we? We are dependent upon each other. We cannot do the Christian life alone. Edmund Clowney says, Church fellowship is not an optional advantage to be chosen or ignored like membership in a social club. It is the calling of every Christian. We, brothers and sisters, need to join as involved and committed members of the church. We need to realize that the health and maturity of each living stone affects the health of the whole building. We belong to each other and we have great joy, do we not, in being built up together as living stones in the house of God. Each one of us are living stones, but that's not everything. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. What comes next there in verse five? To be a holy priesthood. Second point, we are a holy priesthood. Here, the Old Testament imagery remains. The more you know of the Old Testament, the more significant, Uh, this imagery will be and the richer your understanding of it will be. Here we move, though, from the temple to the priesthood. In the Old Testament, there was a sharp distinction between the priests and the people. Uh, The people of God could only draw near to God and offer sacrifices to him through the ministry of priests who were of the tribe of Levi. But now... All of this has changed. Now God wants his people to know that you are, all of us and each one of us in Christ, a holy priesthood. It's repeated in verse 9 that all who are in Christ belong to a royal priesthood. This is also a truth that's affirmed in Revelation 5 where it says that Christ is worthy to open the scroll for he was slain and ransomed to people from every tribe and nation. And in Revelation five ten it says, and you have made them, the Lord has made the people of God, you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. You are priests belonging to the holy priesthood. Doug shared earlier, Reformation Day is coming. The Reformation teaching of the priesthood of all believers stands in opposition to the clerical teaching of the medieval church because the Protestant reformers taught that there is no class, there is no priestly class of, uh, among believers. All, in other words, all believers are priests through our union with Jesus Christ. You may have never thought about this, but the implications are staggering. You belong to a royal priesthood. This means that you have direct access to God's presence, you are holy in God's sight, and you are useful in God's service. Not just the few, but the many. Men and women, married and And single, young and old, pastors and congregants, you belong to the holy priesthood. It is is good to value the gift of leadership, but we must never so elevate pastoral ministry that the ministry and gifts of all who are in the body is overlooked or undervalued. Timothy George says the priesthood of all believers is a call to ministry and service. It is a a barometer of the quality of life of God's people in the body of Christ and of the coherence of our witness in the world. That's the importance of the priesthood of all believers. We were recently talking uh, as elders about how we want more young people to step up into key roles in the church as we move into the future and what God has for us. Small group leaders, Bible study leaders, deacons, ministry team leaders, evangelists, church planters, and more. We need younger Christians to play their part as living stones and the holy priesthood as we are built up together. We must also be aware of and celebrate the many ways that women are vital to the church. In our statement of faith for Sovereign Grace Churches, it says, and this is under the church, you can read it in our statement of faith, men and women alike belong to the royal priesthood in which each member is gifted by God to play a vital role in the life and mission of the church. That's men and women alike, belonging to the royal priesthood in which every single member is gifted by God to play a crucial role, to play a vital role in the life and mission of the church. Kevin DeYoung wrote an outstanding book called Men and Women in the Church, and he says that while it is men who are called to be pastors or elders... He says, we need to emphasize the many things women can do. This is a longer quote, but I want to share this with you. When I read this, I thought the faces of so many women in our church came to mind as they are serving and leading and ministering in so many ways in our our church. DeYoung says, women can minister to the sick, the dying, the mentally impaired, and the physically handicapped, Women can share their faith, share their resources, and open their home to strangers. They can write, counsel, mentor, organize, administrate, design, plan, and come alongside others. They can pray. They can serve on committees of the church. They can come alongside the elders and deacons in difficult situations involving women or those needing a woman's perspective. They can minister to single moms, new moms, breast cancer survivors, and abuse victims. They can bring meals, sew curtains, send care packages, and throw baby showers. They can do sports ministries, lead women's Bible studies, teach systematic theology to other women, and plan mission trips. They can teach children. They can raise their kids to the glory of God, and they can embrace singleness as a gift from God. He says, I pray for women who love to cook and quilt and work in the nursery. I pray for women, not the male elders, but women to counsel almost divorced wives and mentor young ladies and teach the Bible and good doctrine to other women. He says, oh, how we need women who love the Bible and good doctrine. Women can help widows. They can care for those struggling with the remorse of abortion. And they can show the glory of the gospel in racial and ethnic reconciliation. And he says they can do all the above cross-culturally in unreached places and with the unwanted peoples of the world. In other words, there are 10,000 things women can be doing in ministry. And he says pastors especially need to make this point abundantly and repetitively clear. We have made it clear and we will go on doing so. You yourselves, like living stones, all belonging to the holy priesthood, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer, verse 5 goes on, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. The third and last point is that we offer spiritual sacrifices, our lives are an offering. To the Lord as a spiritual sacrifice as priests belonging to the holy priesthood we offer sacrifices that are acceptable to God through Jesus Christ our sacrifices are far from perfect but praise God they are accepted by God through Jesus Christ you may see only the imperfections in your service, in your ministry, in your sacrifices, but know today that God eagerly accepts the imperfect spiritual sacrifices we make because they are made through Jesus Christ who lived a perfect life and died for the forgiveness of our sins. We spend our lives offering spiritual sacrifices to the God who has saved us. And as you join with others in the church, it is a spiritual sacrifice of worship to God. As you serve others, as you use your energies and resources to invest in the temple of God, you are offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. This is who we are, living stones, being built up as a spiritual house, to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to our God through Jesus Christ. Now I want to take a moment to close here to introduce something important in the life of our church. This is something that the elders have been planning for some time and what I want to introduce is our new church covenant. Um, Many churches have a statement, not only a a statement of faith that summarizes what the church believes, but a church covenant that summarizes how we are to live together. We've always believed that church membership entails commitments to one another. So this, this covenant introduces no new responsibilities to any of us. It is summarizing the biblical commitments we have already made as Bible-believing members. Um, So you know how this will function in our life together. This isn't something that we will have members um, sign, but it is something that we will read on occasion to spur each other on as living stones, as a holy priesthood. Uh, We plan to begin using this, uh, not immediately. We do want to give you know time to uh interact with you if there are questions about about this uh but we do plan to begin using it in the weeks and months to come and so we want to between now and then process um, this with you but here is the language in the introduction of the church covenant i'll read this and then the uh the the church uh commitments or covenant is not long and so i'll read that um as well The description says the Bible describes a covenant as an agreement with mutual commitments between parties. In the new covenant, we not only enter a commitment with God, but also with the people of God. The local church is a covenant community in the sense that members joyfully and voluntarily agree to be the body of Christ for each other during their time as members. And oh, how I thank God that all of you have been the body of Christ to me and to Megan and to my family. That the church involves covenant relationships doesn't mean you should never leave a church or that these commitments will be carried out perfectly or that failure to uphold a commitment is grounds for church discipline. We all fall short of the call to love one another as we ought. But these commitments express what God requires of us in scripture, how we commit to live together, and what we want to be held accountable to. Our church covenant exists to remind us and encourage us toward the biblical obligations we have to God and to each other as members of his redeemed community. In an individualistic culture that is averse to commitment, our covenant love for one another serves as a powerful witness to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so here is the language of the church covenant, having been brought by God's sovereign grace to repent and believe in the good news of Jesus Christ and his saving work, and having been baptized upon our profession of faith, we do now relying on his grace, solemnly and joyfully affirm our covenant with each other. We will pray and labor to be faithful disciples of Jesus Christ, devoted to the glory of God, resting in the gospel of his son, and dependent upon the work of the Holy Spirit. To that end, we will not forsake assembling together, but will faithfully attend our corporate worship, treasuring our church's weekly opportunity to sing, pray, and receive the whole counsel of God's word. We will defend and maintain a gospel-centered ministry by upholding and attending to biblical preaching, the administration of the sacraments, and the exercise of church discipline. We will walk together in brotherly love as becomes the members of a local church. We will pray for and serve one another, exercise an affectionate care and watchfulness over each other, and reject all opportunities to speak or hear gossip or slander. We will instead seek to encourage one another and build each other up in the faith. We will rejoice with those who rejoice and endeavor with tenderness and sympathy to bear each other's burdens and sorrows. We will seek to proclaim and adorn the gospel of Christ before our family, friends, and neighbors and faithfully transfer the gospel to future generations. We will contribute cheerfully and regularly to the support of our local church, to the care of our members, and to the spread of the gospel locally and to all nations. We will, if we move from this place as soon as possible, unite with some other church where we can carry out the spirit of this covenant and the teaching of God's word. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all. Amen. And so this is what we desire as a church to be. This is the teaching of Scripture, even read earlier in Romans 12 and other places, that summarizes, God, this is what you've called us to be. And by affirming this and by reminding ourselves of this we are saying yes God you have not only saved us you've made us living stones you've called us to be joined together with a people you've given us roles and responsibilities and you are building us up we belong to the holy priesthood that has been set apart by you that has been called to carry out your mission in the world And therefore, we will spend our lives together offering spiritual sacrifices to God acceptable through Jesus Christ. Friends, what a joy it is. I found that even as I gathered this morning, such joy overflowed in my heart. Why? Because we together are the people of God. We're not at this alone. God has laid in Zion a cornerstone chosen and precious His name is Jesus. He is the great cornerstone. And our lives, our relationship, this church, everything that we do is built on Christ alone. May the cornerstone be honored in our lives and may we continue to trust in him as we offer our lives as spiritual sacrifices for the glory of his name. Amen.